0: out your sermon outline, have that to follow along. It says wisdom from above on it. We are in James chapter 3 today, the very end of the chapter. So James 3 verses 13 through 18. Please listen carefully as this is God's word. Who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, There will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word, and as always, we need it. We need to be... Reminded of where wisdom comes from and why we need it. We need to know the wisdom of your word for all the trials of our lives. Thank you that James is a letter that shows unwise people like us how to be wise, how to walk, how to live in wisdom. We are acutely aware that we live in a world filled with knowledge, filled with facts, filled with information all of which have not made us wise. Thank you that James points us to the one who is in himself, the wisdom from God. We need the wisdom he offers. Help us to understand your word and to develop the faith in Christ that James will speak into our hearts. And so we pray, speak through your word this morning. By the power of the Holy Spirit, help us see Jesus. his name we pray, Amen. Amen. So it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and the baby has been crying for two hours now, and you're standing outside the door of the baby's room, your back's against the wall, slowly you slide down to the floor, and you can't stop weeping. Because you just yelled at that baby with all your might. And you cannot believe what you just did. And now you're questioning God about whether or not you're the worst mother in the world. First of all, I do not have a hidden camera in your hallway. Second, this is a very common experience for almost all new moms. And I know that because you've told me. And I may have seen it once or twice, perhaps. And third, if this was not your experience, please don't tell us because we still like you. So what do we do with this type of trial, this type of frustration, this sense of being overwhelmed? Well, for starters, if we go back to the beginning of the book of James, let's look at James 1.5. It says... If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Now on most occasions when we think about that verse, we're thinking about decisions we have to make. Something unknown that we want God to show us. We don't want to know which school to send our children to or uh, which job we're supposed to take. And so we turn to this verse, and we find comfort. If if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. It's a wonderful help that this passage brings us. However, if we take a look at the context for a moment, we see that James has a much more profound meaning than mere decision-making. Let's jump back even further in James 1, go back to verse 2. We're reminded of the situation. It's When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Notice that verse four ends with lacking in nothing, and now see that phrase repeated at the beginning of verse five in a parallel uh, phrase if any of you lacks wisdom. So James is telling us. If you're in a trial of any kind, the Lord wants to complete you so that you lack nothing. If you lack wisdom, ask. We lack wisdom. We lack the ability to know what to do in the midst of trials. So we take this as a comfort. (coughs) The context seems to be much more about trials in people's lives than making decisions. Well, we keep reading, and by the time we get to James 3, we realize James uses the same word again. It's always a helpful thing when thinking through context to ask, does the author talk about this idea any other place in his writing? And our passage today, starting in verse 13, says, who is wise and understanding among you. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So what is wisdom that is unspiritual? Notice this carefully. It says it's revealed by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Seems like James is equating wisdom with character. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. It says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And then notice the contrast with verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So we're looking at how James uses the word wisdom. And there's two kinds of wisdom in mind. There's Heavenly wisdom, wisdom from above, and then earthly or unspiritual wisdom. And for James, wisdom has to do with character. So we see here in the contrast of bitter jealousy with gentleness and peace. So now we go back to chapter one. And we keep James' definition of wisdom from chapter three in our mind. You're in the midst of a trial. And you read, if any of you lacks wisdom, and now you know that means, if any of you lacks wisdom, gentleness, peace, being full of mercy and good fruit, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And now it makes a lot more sense. It's more helpful for the believer. If you're in the midst of a trial and you're responding to that trial with uh, jealousy or envy or anger, and you need wisdom from above... You need the grace from heaven to respond to that trial in a way that imitates the character of God. Ask, and he will give it. Suddenly you see what that verse means. So let's go back and start all over again. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. The baby's been crying for two hours now. And you're standing outside the door of the baby's room. Your back's against the wall. Slowly, you slide down the wall to the floor, and you can't stop weeping because you just yelled at that baby with all your might, and you cannot believe what you just did. And now you're questioning God about whether or not you're the worst mother in the world. Suddenly, James 1.5 becomes a promise for that new mom in the middle of the night. Now she knows that if she lacks gentleness, peace, mercy in the midst of her trial, in the midst of her frustration, in the midst of her sense of being overwhelmed by a baby that's been crying for two hours, ask for that gentle wisdom, ask for that peaceable wisdom, ask for that merciful wisdom, and he will give it. So context helps us. It not only opens for us the meaning of the passage, it brings the comfort and kindness of God to the hallway floor at 3 in the morning. So how do you know if you're wise? How do you know if there's wisdom, real wisdom, true wisdom stored up in your heart? That's what James is saying. Asking and teaching us this morning. Look back at verse 13. <coughs> we have the marks of wisdom. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have better jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So we look at these verses, and James says here that true wisdom and false wisdom are shown by our behavior. Notice his words, who is wise. Here's the answer. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Mm. So James is telling us the true Christian lives wisely. Wisdom is not a matter of how many things you know or how many things you agree with, wisdom is shown in the way that you live. So the true Christian lives wisely. Christian's life is to be characterized by wisdom. <coughs> and the question with which James begins, verse 13, suggests that Christians can have a problem. Identifying good conduct, which shows true wisdom. Now, and this is important, a little technical for a minute. There are two words for good in the Greek New Testament. One is agathos, and it refers to the nature of something, being good as opposed to being bad. But the other word, also translated as good, is the word kalos, which refers to the beauty of of goodness, it's attractiveness, it's usefulness, it's helpfulness. And it's the second word, kalos, that James uses here. He's not talking about the kind of behavior that we would look at and say, yeah, he did the right thing. He's talking about the kind of behavior that we look at and say, wow, that was really helpful. That was very kind. So perhaps we can ask this wisdom question this way. What is a beautiful life? There's a PCA church uh, plant in downtown San Diego. And uh, this guy's planting a church in an area which, after San Francisco, is the most populated homosexual area in California. Probably not the most typical place for a PCA church to be planted, uh, but one that is starting to happen more frequently and for which we can be grateful because everyone needs the gospel, Anyway, one of the things this church did, which I love, is they have this great motto. It just stuck with me as soon as I saw it. And the motto for this church is Christianity is not just true, it's beautiful. And what stuck with me is because I think to some degree that's what James is trying to tell us. Of course, James is telling us about true wisdom. It's God's word. Of course, it's true but he also wants us to see that God's wisdom is beautiful. It's attractive. People can't help but notice it. It's one reason we love art and music so much. There's are songs that we like. You know, they have a catchy tune. They have a beat that you can dance to. Not Mark, but the rest of you. Lifelong Presbyterian it's just. But then there's pieces of music that just catch your breath. Because they're simply beautiful. For me, one of those pieces of music is Gabriel's oboe from the movie The Mission. Caleb, can I get this mic? It's composed by the great Ennio Morricone. I want to play a short. Snip it for you. It's played by none other than the great Yo-Yo Ma. three more minutes but it's beautiful and every time I hear it I just stop the fact that one of my daughters walked down the aisle to that song has nothing to do with it but great art is an example of wisdom it shows us something the great masters tell us stories in their paintings we look at them and we're amazed They're beautiful. They demonstrate great wisdom in showing us stories without using any verbs. Their beauty demonstrates wisdom. But what about a life that's not beautiful? Ah, That's verse 14. Demonstrates false wisdom. James argues that bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are what proves that a man's claim to wisdom is false. He's saying that a man's character can disprove his claim to have true wisdom. Maybe a teacher, maybe someone spiritual, uh, someone who appears to be religious, but whose heart is characterized by jealousy and selfish ambition, and it shows that person really doesn't have any wisdom. Because James is saying that wisdom is self-denying. It's other-centered. It's not just good behavior, but it's a beautiful life that leads to kind deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. See, the person who is jealous and selfishly ambitious is insecure, envious of others, not thinking of the other's best interest, but preoccupied with their own self-interest. And James is saying that such a person is not wise. We're looking for a different kind of wisdom. So where do we find it? Well, to find wisdom, we have to know the source of wisdom. Verse 15, the source of wisdom. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And this is where it gets tricky. It sounds simple. Um, the wisdom from above, we sort of understand that. Uh, God's wisdom, I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. But what about wisdom from below? Well, James says there's three characteristics of that kind of wisdom. It's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Now, you might think that if the wisdom from below is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, surely it will be obvious that it's false wisdom. Not so fast. couple reasons why. Think about it. Sometimes earthly wisdom has much to commend itself. There are unbelieving people who are very savvy. There are unbelieving people that we go to to manage our money because, quite frankly, they're really good at it. There are unbelieving people we go to to give us advice on legal opinions or medical uh, advice. There's unbelieving people filled with common sense knowledge of the world and how it operates. And Jesus himself acknowledged that. He told his disciples, Luke 16, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light it was not a compliment. In other words, Jesus was acknowledging that there are unbelieving people out there who've been granted in God's common grace, common sense, and earthly wisdom. And it's not always easy to tell the difference between what's earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. James is saying here, because a person has earthly wisdom does not mean that that's the wisdom from above. Now, you may be thinking, surely if this wisdom is unspiritual, I'll be able to recognize that. Again, not so fast. There are good things that come from wisdom that don't result from the work of the Holy Spirit. The natural man has some wisdom to offer, and sometimes it's shrewd and very smart. What about that third qualification? You can always tell demonic wisdom, right? Well, let's role play a little bit. You're a follower of Christ. Jesus has just announced at a private meeting that he's going to be taken away and crucified by the Roman rulers and your religious leaders. And Peter stands up. Great man of God opens his mouth to change feet. He says, we're never going to allow that, Lord. We die for you before we allow that to happen. And would you stand up and say, Peter, that's demonic wisdom. I and mean, Peter's just trying to defend the Lord. He's looking out for Jesus. He loves Jesus. He doesn't want Jesus to die. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, that was of the devil. James knows it is not always easy to tell earthly, unspiritual, or demonic wisdom from heavenly wisdom. So how do we tell them apart? Well, we have to look first at what they produce inside of us. If it's producing bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, it's not from above. Second, we have to look where it comes from. Is it coming from above or from the world? Third, James tells us the primary way to tell them apart is by looking at the results of wisdom. The results. Verses 16 to 18. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So James is showing us the results of wisdom which is from above. True wisdom, even though it can be hard to pin down sometimes shows itself in its result. But true wisdom, again, isn't always easy to see. You know, maybe it's a hard truth that's tough to swallow. The wounds of a friend can be hard to distinguish from the wounds of an enemy. Those words may have hurt, but they may have been wise, and I may have needed to hear them. So while true wisdom isn't easy to see, It shows itself in its result. Verse 17 and 18, James tells us he gives us eight characteristics and one outcome. And a wise person has these qualities, these characteristics. I'm not going to go through them one at a time, but I just want you to see how James describes wisdom. He doesn't give us a command, do this and you'll be wise. He doesn't give us a definition, this is what wisdom is. He shows you what wisdom is by how it looks in a person's life. Because, again, true wisdom isn't about all the things that you know or that you agree with. It's about how the Lord is working in your life. And so James is insisting, faith is revealed in our life, and then we can discern whether it's wise. Our lives, our choices, our Priorities or behaviors, the best index of whether we're wise or not. And so James is saying, how do you know if you have wisdom? Because it is seen in your life. And when you impart wisdom into the lives of others, you do it with the desire of creating peace. That's where he finishes. And peace primarily between God and man. Now, in our ministry here at Potomac Hills, we would like to produce wise people. That would be a good thing think any of the elders would disagree with me on that. We want people to be wise. But ultimately, you know, only the Holy Spirit can make a person wise. Only the spirit can make you a wise man or a wise woman. If you lack wisdom, I can't just give it to you. I can't hand it to you. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And if you're a Christian, you may realize you're not as wise as you should be. And you're hardly ever as wise as you think you are. And there's no technique, there's no uh, four-step formula or 12-step program to get wisdom. You need to ask God. And by the grace of the Holy Spirit, usually through the means of grace, reading the Word, spending time in prayer, participating in worship, being part of a believing community, the Spirit will grant you wisdom. Now James teaches that the character and results of the wisdom from below show you whether that person is wise or not. You may expect James to give you a sort of a simple prepackaged answer to his question of who is wise. He knows it's hard to tell the difference between heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom, between true and false wisdom. And he says that false wisdom shows itself in its outcome. You can always see false wisdom by what it produces. You look at its results, and he tells you those results, verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. He's saying the results of false wisdom, of mere earthly wisdom without the grace of the Holy Spirit, are jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder, division, ungodliness. These are the things that are product of the wisdom from below. He says, when you see those things, you're seeing the results of a person who's living a self serving life. They're not demonstrating true wisdom. Now, James says, Paul says, Jesus says, the Proverbs say, the whole Bible says, there is no true wisdom in a self serving person. A person who's not denied themselves and given themselves over to the service of God, to the service of God's people, to the service of his neighbor does not know true wisdom. And so false wisdom, even though it may be hard to pin down sometimes, eventually shows itself in its result. So in order to see if you're demonstrating true or false wisdom in your life, we have to actually look at your life. And James wants us to see the results of this wisdom, particularly in how we relate to other people. Why is it that over and over and over again, all the way through the Bible, wise people are peacemakers? Wise people are able to build relationships and reconcile people and bring peace. They're able to bring folks together. They're able to relate people and things and groups in a way that others just can't seem to do. A wise person knows how to reconcile two people. A wise person knows how to smooth over ruffled feathers A wise person knows how to confront but not go too far to compliment but not butter up to say the right things. Here's a wise person that can hold a group together who can turn strangers into friends. Wisdom is the ability to see relationships and build relationships. So what does James tell us to do? He says you need to face the fact that you and I so often live in accordance with the wrong type of wisdom and to live in accordance with the right type of wisdom, we have to realize that wisdom is more about who than what. Wisdom is more about who than what. You have to stop and realize that everything James described about true wisdom is an accurate description of his older brother, Jesus. James has shown us this ideal of true wisdom, but that ideal will crush us if we don't see who's described here. The Apostle Paul tells us that in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is wisdom incarnate who came down and lived among us. He gave us a life of wisdom, and that life of wisdom culminates in the cross, where the very folly of our human race was on full display for everyone to see when wisdom incarnate was nailed to the cross by the foolishness of men. Jesus perfectly embodies what James has described you think about what Jesus did for us. He is the Prince of Peace. When he came to this earth, it was announced that the Prince of Peace had come. When he walked through his days on this earth, he showed us what that coming peace would look like, following, as it were, in a train behind him as he cast out demons and sickness and disease and death and hope and life were brought to sinners like us. And as he walked, he told his disciples, John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And when he rose from the dead and he entered into the upper room, what's the first thing he said? Peace be with you. And then he tells us one day he'll bring that peace, which is not simply the absence of strife, but that time when all things will be set right, when Sabbath rest never ends, when all the sad things come untrue, when all the vile practices and disorder are gone, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth in which the Prince of Peace will reign and all of us will live at peace with one another. That's what Jesus will do. You know, I was reading recently back a story about a, a doctor named Edward Lorenz. He's a meteorologist and, uh, at MIT. And back in 1961, he ran some routine experiments and found some extraordinary results. He discovered that seemingly tiny and insignificant changes in his data could produce huge differences in the final result. And so him and other scientists in this field of chaos theory called this, and this was their original name, the sensitive dependence on initial data. Fortunately, somebody convinced them to change the name to the butterfly effect. And in 1972, Dr. Lorenz presented a scientific paper that was titled, Predictability Does the Flap of a Butterfly's Wings in Brazil Set Off a Tornado in Texas? And according to his theory, The butterfly's wing flapping doesn't actually cause the tornado, but it can start a chain reaction leading to giant changes in worldwide weather patterns. In other words, even tiny, insignificant movements or actions can produce huge changes that affect a whole lot of people. The Bible often describes a similar butterfly effect for the spiritual life. According to Jesus, the spiritual effect occurs... When we do those small, seemingly insignificant things for insignificant people making a meal, visiting the sick, befriending the lonely, opening our home to a guest, praying with a friend, because that makes a huge difference in God's eyes, and you never know how that plays out down the road. So what does all this mean for Monday? What do we do to get this wisdom? Well, James tells us, you have to ask for it. It's part of the free offer of the gospel. All you have to do to get this wisdom, to get this beautiful life is say, God, I am tired of where I'm at right now. I'm tired of living by my own wisdom. I need your wisdom. I need true wisdom. One of the best things about being a Christian is you can start right where you are. Whatever you've done this week, however bad you've messed up, however unwise your choices have been, You can start right now and meet him and he promises to make you wise and over time he will make your life beautiful. Now that may mean some changes for us, for all of us. It may mean uh, that we'll have to be less defensive. It means we'll be more willing to make peace with others. We'll stop holding grudges. It means we'll keep extending grace to people even when we know they're going to let us down again because we all let people down, right? I do. And when we get this, when we get the wisdom that James is talking about, when our life starts to become more beautiful, we'll keep going after those people and we'll keep extending grace and we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. So ask for that gentle wisdom. Ask for that peaceable wisdom. Ask for that merciful wisdom. And he will give it. Even at three in the morning when you're sitting on the floor in your hallway. Think about that. You need to pray. Take a moment to do that, and then I'll close. together. Our Lord and our God, thank you that once again you have spoken to us by your Son. Open our eyes that we might see our sin and then see our Savior. Heavenly Father, we confess that although we claim the name of Jesus, our hearts turn elsewhere when we're in the midst of trials, when we're frustrated, when we feel overwhelmed. So, Father, we ask that you would make it possible for us as we face the trials and difficulties of everyday life that we might be able to stop and pray, that we might be able to ask you for true wisdom for that moment, for that trial, for that frustration. Father, give us the wisdom that comes from above. Thank you that you've told us so many things in your word that if we apply them will help us to receive your wisdom in a way that we will become mature, lacking nothing. Show us what it means to be wise. Make us wise people. Let this church become a church of wisdom. Teach us how to be wise and to bring the word into our life and flesh it out in our lives. Let our relationships, our vocations, the use of our gifts, let our lives be characterized by your wisdom, a wisdom we can know personally in Jesus Christ who died on the cross He has been made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. Let us know that. Let us experience that. Make us wise. Forgive us and work in us this summer as we go through James. Teach us how to ask for the wisdom that comes from above and to receive it and to reflect on it so that we will become like your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ